Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Talk Radio. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The day after Vladimir Putin's forces bombed a maternity hospital full of pregnant women and admitted to using tightly regulated thermobaric vacuum weapons on Ukrainian civilians. The war rages on as this morning's headlines accuse Russian forces of aiming their missiles at mothers and babies and the West still wrestles with the notion of whether to do any more to stop Putin's advances while calling the bombing of the maternity hospital similar to the attack on 9-11, the World Trade Center. Meanwhile, in London this morning, Liz Truss announced further sanctions against Roman Abramovich and six other oligarchs said to be inside Vladimir Putin's inner circle. As a result, all their assets will be frozen and they will be forbidden for doing any business in this country. Now, what does that mean? Particularly for the football business, Chelsea Football Club, still technically owned by Abramovich because it hasn't been sold yet, despite his announced intention to sell it, now finds itself in the extraordinary situation where it may be unable to sell tickets, provide hospitality or sell anything from their shop. According to a statement from Culture Secretary Nadine Dorries, the government will issue a special licence to the football club to enable it to continue trading normally. But huge questions remain about how that can be possible. We'll get an explanation up first from Jim White from the Daily Telegraph because it would appear that if you have a season ticket, you can go to the game. If you want to buy a ticket, you won't be able to. And what that means for the hospitality business and even the food business inside the stadium is very, very questionable indeed. 0344 499 uh, The government, as I say, has likened the attack on Mariupol yesterday to the 9-11 terror attacks on the World Trade Centre. We'll bring you the latest throughout the morning and we'll take you live to Ukraine as well. Also coming up, we'll be talking about the Labour Party and women, uh, the heart transplant business which involves pigs, and we'll be checking in with former Trump advisor Sebastian Gorka with his take on why the Biden White House has become so insignificant on the world stage. It's another massive day of news, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, without further ado, because we've got an awful lot to talk about, Brendan Chiltern is waiting in the wings for us. For Up first, though, Jim White, sports writer at the Daily Telegraph. Jim, a very good morning to you. 
Morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for sparing the time for us. Busy morning. A uh, bit of a bombshell for Chelsea fans, bombshell for Abramovich. It seems as though the sanctions that were asked for some time ago by uh, others in the political sphere have now been uh, imposed upon him. But it's a bit unclear what Chelsea can now do, isn't it? It's completely unclear, uh, a bit chaotic, in fact. As you said in your introduction, there's a possibility that tickets won't be sold, uh, that they won't be able to sell merchandise, um, hospitality. And then there's things like the broadcast revenue as well. Mm. Basically, the sanctions insist that no money can go back towards Roman Abramovich. Now, this is an extant uh, business within England, um, within the UK, uh, so that might have different implications. Uh, I should think the lawyers that Mr Abramovich has surrounded himself with for most of his life will be employed very, very busily uh, yes. on this one. But I think the most significant thing, Mike, is the sale. How is he going to sell? How can he sell to a UK-based institution? Because they can't pass the money on to him. There's US uh, uh, and Swiss interests in buying Chelsea. But again, how can they do it when he is blanked off from the international banking system? So I think there are huge implications as to where Chelsea go forward, but there are also great implications as to what they do for the next couple of weeks. Well, that's it's, right. It's chaotic. Because their next home game, I understand, is against Newcastle, I think, on Sunday. Uh, they're playing Norwich, bizarrely, tonight, but that's up in Norwich. So I don't suppose that's affected, is it? Yes, it's, uh, it, 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 it is absolute chaos, uh, Mike. We really don't know what's going to happen. I mean, right down to the nitty-gritty of will you be able to buy a ticket? Yeah. I think for Chelsea fans, uh, this is an odd one, that they, they seem to uh, be the ones who are going to be punished here, uh, which, is, which is an oddity. This is, this is I think, uh, an example, Mike, of the way in which Russian money has become so integrated into the British economy. Right. This is perhaps the biggest example of it, but it shows that so many people, I mean, what, 250,000 Chelsea fans around the world are absolutely now tied up in the business mm. uh, with dirty Russian money. And, and that's absolutely indicative of what's been happening in London for the last 20 years. Well, that's right. And it seems extraordinary, doesn't it? Because it is, I suppose, if you look at it uh, very straightforwardly, Chelsea is the biggest kind of retail outlet uh, of Russian oligarchy, isn't it? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And another thing, Mike, is, is what happens. I mean, you look at other clubs that have been in financial issues in the past. They have been punished on the field. You know, if you've had an owner who has dodgy money, they have had points deducted. And I wonder if that's what the football authorities are going to do next. Are they going to deduct points from Chelsea? This isn't scaremongering. This is what has happened with previous examples of clubs where there has been some sort of financial mismanagement. And that's what they're suggesting. They're suggesting the government, by blocking uh, Abramovich here, that this money is associated with Putin and his regime. Well, exactly right. It's a fascinating time. I uh, appreciate your time, Jim. Obviously, the story will develop over the course of the next few hours. We'll bring that to everybody. Jim White there, sports writer with the Daily Telegraph, uh, giving us the, the, the lowdown, effectively, since Liz Truss made her announcement. And I can tell you what Nadine Dorries has had to say for herself, because Nadine Dorries has said this. Today's sanctions obviously have a direct impact on Chelsea and its fans. We have been working hard to ensure the club and the national game are not unnecessarily harmed by these important sanctions to ensure the club can 
continue to compete and operate, we are issuing a special licence that will allow fixtures to be fulfilled, staff to be paid and existing ticket holders to attend matches, while crucially depriving Abramovich of benefiting from his ownership of the club. Now, that is pretty clear to me that it is as clear as mud because it's not clear about whether they can provide hospitality, whether they can provide a shop and its services, whether they can sell tickets which have not yet been sold. It would seem unlikely that that's the case. So we will take your calls on all of this because many people say why Abramovich uh, is being sanctioned in the first place anyway, but also why did it take this long? If you were going to do it, why did they not do it earlier? That would be the question. Let's talk to Brendan Chilton, CEO of the Independent Business Network. Brendan, a very good morning to you. Uh, coming to you slightly later than we planned because this breaking news is quite an extraordinary development, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, Chelsea is one of our biggest and most successful clubs. And the owner is now, I know he announced that he was handing over control of the club, I think, to the trust that run it. Uh, but the extent to which that proceeded, I, I'm not entirely sure. But he's now been frozen out of things. And you've essentially got a huge business, uh, Chelsea, and all the associated businesses with it, as you've mentioned, the hospitalities, the suppliers, and all the rest of mm. it, are now really in limbo. Uh, and so really, I know the war is happening quite far away uh, in Eastern Europe, but we're now seeing uh, the direct consequences of uh, sanctions that we're imposing on Putin and his regime and people near him uh, impacting directly now on the British people. Well, that's right. Uh, and of course, as ever, the football business is quite hypocritical in many ways uh, because, of course, there's plenty of Saudi money swilling around uh, inside of the uh, the Newcastle United football team. And then by the same token, there's plenty of money not suggesting that there's anything wrong with it uh, from Abu Dhabi swilling around in Manchester City's dressing room as well. So, you know, it's one thing to pick on Roman Abramovich, and I'm not defending him, um, but it seems to be um, a very interesting development this morning. It does indeed. I mean, let's be honest, uh, you know, there is a, a huge question in this country about the, the money we allow in and out of the country, what we allow, uh, you know, multinational firms to do with British assets uh, in this country and asset stripping. And of course, as you've mentioned, capital flows in and out. Um, I do think there is going to be some sort of sea change uh, following this because, you know, an issue that we all sort of knew about, we knew the city was quite exciting and, you know, all sorts of interesting things happened. Uh, but now we're seeing uh, people being blown to bits in Ukraine and there's a direct link between that activity and the transactions that take place in London. Uh, I think the public is going to demand uh, some sort of long-term change. We'll have to see how that unfolds. Uh, but of course, as we've seen with the Chelsea case this morning, those decisions that we take will have a direct impact on the cost of living here in the UK. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, even as we speak, there's another announcement coming out from uh, uh, from various groups saying that, the you know, fuel prices have hit a record high. Well, I think they do that about every 15 minutes, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they're probably doing it now, actually. Yeah. As I saw this morning, I think in some forecourts uh, in the southeast in particular, um, petrol's now hit two pounds a litre. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think we've seen the end of this yet. I think we could be looking at three, four, possibly even five pounds a litre uh, before the end of the spring. Um, because this, although the, the crisis in Ukraine at the moment is not solely responsible uh, for the rise uh, in fuel prices, it is a big contributing factor and it's not going away anytime soon. Mm. Um, I personally think uh, the Chancellor's making his spring statement 
next week or a week after, I think it's next week actually, uh, I think we need to see some huge measures on fuel duty and VAT. Um, you know, the majority of the money uh, that we're paying at the pump uh, at the moment, 51%, is taxation uh, that goes direct to the Treasury. Uh, if the government were to just, even for just one year, uh, cut that in half or even abolish it, Mm. Uh, it would be an enormous help to uh, commuters and also to the hauling industry. And let's be honest, this country operates because of our hauliers. Yes. We wouldn't be able to buy food in the shops if it were not for the lorry drivers. We wouldn't be able to buy fuel at the pumps if it weren't for the lorry drivers. Right. So they need help right now. The government did take some measures during the pandemic to help retail, and they need to take some measures now uh, to help people through this crisis. Well, they really do. And I mean, certainly yesterday, watching Prime Minister's questions, I didn't think Keir Starmer did terribly well. Um, but Boris Johnson didn't look like a man who grasped quite how difficult people's ordinary day-to-day lives have become because of everything becoming so expensive. Well, well, this year, let's just look. We've got national insurance going up as of April. We've got inflation running at about five and a half, six percent probably going to go up to double digits by the summer. Uh, fuel duties, I've just mentioned. VAT is still in place, despite the fact we're outside the EU and can now get rid of it or dramatically uh, reduce it. Most people's council tax is going up. If you're a social rented tenant, your rents are going up. It's it's not a good time. And not to mention the fact government are also putting up corporation tax. We're the highest taxed in our recent history. I think for about 50 years, this country is now the highest tax we've been for 50 years. And if the government is taking more money, it means there's less money in the economy for consumers and businesses yeah. and that's where growth is generated so if the government are taking money we're not spending as much and so the economy will uh, really i'm worried move into I mean, I mean forgive me for saying so but there are some uh, sort of truths that cannot be ignored in in the study of economics and basically if you take more money off the people than they want to give you uh, they won't have any left to spend on the things that will boost the economy and no economy has ever benefited from a high tax uh, regime by government because government wastes money people spend it on things that create growth my completely right and i think we're now really at risk of entering into a period of stagflation let's be honest okay with the economy grew very well last year i think it was about six or seven percent but that was largely because uh, the restrictions imposed by covid had been lifted so we hadn't really grown we just returned to normal uh, the forecasts for the coming few years are the economy is going to grow roughly between one and 1.4 percent yeah. every year if you factor in inflation, that's not really growth at all. What we've entered into now is stagflation. We're back to the 1970s. Mm. And this is a really serious problem for the government and indeed for the Labour opposition. They need to come up with proposals to deal with this because I, I think I said once on your show before, I think this year the cost of living issue is going to be the political mm. issue. And whichever party grasps that, I think could go on to win the next election. And at the moment, we're not really seeing big, big responses from either party on how to deal with the problems we're facing. No, and they're not going away anytime soon either. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stay there for a moment, Brendan. We've got plenty to talk about still. We're going to take a little break, but let me just say this. Apparently only existing ticket holders at Chelsea can now attend games. Club shops will close. Uh, all transfer activity suspended. So Chelsea, in effect, is now some kind of a vassal club. It can't be like every other club. I know that there will be those of you out there who say, well, they brought it on themselves. There will be those of you out there who say, well, it doesn't matter because of the time of the season. But this is a massive problem for football, a massive problem for one of the biggest sports in this country and in the world, and a massive problem for all of Europe, I would have thought, because there's plenty of Russian money swilling around in other countries as well. 
So we'll take your calls on this. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The big breaking news is that, of course, Roman Abramovich has been uh, hit with some heavy sanctions. Uh, he's basically being kicked out of the country. He can't do business with anybody here. The government has decided that he is indeed uh, too close to Putin uh, to allow him to even sell Chelsea Football Club. Chelsea Football Club itself has been hurled into a kind of state of disarray. Nobody's quite sure precisely what happens to the players. Somebody's just pointed out to me that the players could be considered to be assets of Chelsea Football Club, therefore could be considered to be assets of Roman Abramovich, therefore could be considered to be uh, part of the whole package of um, freezing of assets. Who can say? Uh, it's very unclear. We will bring you the news as we get it, of course, this morning. Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, has also been talking this morning, saying he's not interested in justifying Russia's actions in Ukraine. Meanwhile, Liz Truss is accusing uh, the Russians of bombing a maternity hospital and likening it to a terror attack on the World Trade Centre in 9-11. Extraordinary stuff. Uh, let's talk to Brendan Chilton, who's with us, uh, of course, uh, this morning to talk to us about a great many things, including the cost of living. And um, Brendan, you put out an interesting uh, thought the other day about the fracking debate, because fracking, of course, uh, is very much something that everybody's talking about at the moment. The government has supposedly halted the plan to concrete over the two wells that they had so far exposed uh, with Quadrilla. Um, you think they should change the name of it? Well, it's actually British natural shale gas. Uh, that's what we're asking people or, you know, some of us support uh, using. It's just the same as North Sea gas and North Sea oil. We should use the resources that we've got in our country. Uh, and especially now, given that we're outside the European Union, we've clearly got a new international order being established. We've got the aggressive states of Russia. We've got authoritarian but extremely powerful China uh, on the rise. And let's be honest, we are a medium-sized country. We are the fifth largest economy in the world. But we've got to ensure we've got energy security. And one way we can do that is by using the resources that are under our feet. Now, I know there's an enormous amount of concern around what we call fracking. But let's be uh, realistic here and understand what we're talking about. The big concern is around earthquakes. The biggest earthquakes that have ever been measured are the equivalent to a bus driving past you. That's the feet, that's sort of the tremor, if you mm. like, that you feel. It's not an earthquake. It's a, a sort of little gust of wind. And I think it's absolute madness that we've got this treasure underneath us that could see us be energy independent, energy sovereign, taking back control of our energy policy uh, for the next 100 years. And we've got people saying, oh, we ought not to do it. It's bonkers. I know. Start drilling. Get down there. Get the gas. I mean, it doesn't seem to be uh, rocket science, as they would say, uh, to actually become one, more self-sufficient on energy anyway, but also two, uh, to keep the prices down. Almost every country in Europe is now looking at doing something similar the Germans talking about reopening nuclear plants, possibly going back to mining for coal. I mean, these are desperate times uh, in terms of energy, and therefore they call for desperate measures, don't they? They do indeed. And I think you and I have discussed on your show before, Mike, we need to slash VAT on... It won't make an enormous amount of impact, but it will help slash VAT on energy also end the subsidies uh, that go towards renewables. They should be competitive, as other forms of energy are, and we need to start using the resources that are under our feet. 
And I think this is a policy, actually, uh, that many people in the country would support because uh, I speak to people, as I'm sure you do every day, and people are really feeling the pinch at the pumps right now. And it's only going to get worse. Now, of course, exploring for British natural shale gas is not going to be an overnight solution uh, to the problems we're currently facing, but it will ensure that for the next 20, 30 years, this country is on a strong and sustainable footing when it comes to energy policy. Mm. Uh, the Americans did it. And it has completely turned their economy around. They are now largely energy self-sufficient. And we should aim to do the same. Yes. And that will also help levelling up and supporting our manufacturing industries as well. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And I think many people listening to this will agree with you. One final thought, Brendan. Um, Norman Tebbit retired from the House of Lords yesterday, known as the Chingford Skinhead. It's a bit north of your uh, neck of the woods, but nevertheless, quite a substantial figure. Everybody remembers what happened uh, in the Brighton bomb and all of that. Um, an extraordinary man, the like of which we probably won't ever see in politics again, will we? Uh, well, unless you or I get into Parliament, Mike, <laughs> then we might. <laughs> I mean, that was um, when, when on your bike actually meant something as opposed to just ride around and hold up all the traffic. Well, well, yes. I mean, of course, I don't agree with everything um, Lord Tebbit said, but I think, you know, whatever someone's politics, if they've served the country for as long as he has uh, in, in his capacity as a minister, as an MP, and then as a peer, uh, we should thank them for the service they've done. And so I, I wish him well in his retirement, especially given the challenges he's faced uh, following the terrorist incident in Brighton uh, back in the 80s. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Brendan, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Busy morning, of course. We had to get through an awful lot there with Brendan Chilton, CEO of the Independent Business Network. Quite a few of you have got things to say. Pete says, Mike, I have no sympathy for an organisation that is involved with Russian oligarch money. It's about time. Uh, Pete says, the other Pete says, why uh, are they restricting Chelsea from trading as normal? By all means, stop money leaving the country or getting into the hands of Putin. It's an asset which will go to the government or Ukraine. Therefore, don't bring its value down any more that it needs. Susan says, wonderful news, Ray Abramovich, former manager of Chelsea, so delighted that the government has the backbone to deal with this man, given he has had strong links with the evil Putin. Uh, well, he wasn't the manager, he was the owner, I have to say. Uh, and of course, at the end of the day, um, Chelsea now are somewhat in limbo because it doesn't appear to be very clear which parts of their operation they can trade on and which parts they can't. We're told that they can exist, obviously, with um, the... They can, of course, exist with the help um, of season tickets uh, which have been sold, but they cannot sell any new tickets. And while many tickets might have been sold for some home games, there will be other tickets that have not yet been sold, and they cannot at the moment, as far as we know, open the shop. Now, uh, how about this? Uh, Joyce in Morecambe says, let Chelsea carry on as normal and every penny of profits to go to help refugees coming to the UK. Well, that's kind of the wrong impression to make, isn't it? Seriously? Priti Patel, uh, the Home Secretary, is now speaking in the House of Commons. She's answering questions um, about the refugee crisis. So let's have a listen to see what she's having to say. What happened in Salisbury showed what Putin is willing to do on our soil. It also demonstrated that a small number of people with evil intentions can wreak havoc on our streets. This morning, I received assurances which enable me to announce changes to the Ukrainian family scheme. Based on the new advice I have received... I am now in the position to announce that vital security checks will continue on all cases. From Tuesday, I can announce that Ukrainians with passports will no longer need to go to a visa application centre to give their biometrics before they come to the UK. 
Instead, once their application has been considered and appropriate checks completed, they will receive direct notification that they are eligible for the scheme and can come to the UK. In short, Ukrainians with passports will be able to get permission to come here fully online from wherever they are and will be able to give their biometrics once in Britain. This will mean, Mr Speaker, that visa application centres across Europe can focus their efforts on helping Ukrainians without passports. We have increased the capacity at those centres to over 13,000 appointments per week. And this streamlined approach will be operational as of Tuesday, the 15th of March, in order to make the relevant technology and IT changes. I will, Mr Speaker, of course update the House if the security picture changes and if it becomes necessary to make further changes to protect our domestic homeland security. Threat assessments are always changing and we will always keep our approach under review. In the meantime, Mr Speaker, I once again salute the heroism of the Ukrainian people. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I have to say to the Home Secretary, why does it always take being hauled into the House of Commons to make basic changes to help vulnerable people who are fleeing from the Ukraine? A maternity hospital was bombed yesterday. An attack on newborn babies and women giving birth. People are fleeing for their lives. And up to now, the response from the Home Office has been total, a total disgrace, bringing shame upon our country. We've had a 90-year-old Holocaust survivor left in makeshift accommodation in Poland, even though her granddaughter was struggling to get here. Mums with small kids told they can't get an appointment for weeks or having to queue for days to get biometrics in freezing weather in Zhezhou, only to be told they then have to travel 200 miles to Warsaw to pick up their visas. Now, it is welcome that she's now introducing the online approach that we know they tried different ways of doing for the Hong Kong visas, but why has it taken so long when she's had intelligence for weeks, if not months, that she needed to prepare for a Russian invasion of Ukraine? And why still, if we still got... Coop is never happy, is she? I mean, uh, she's just had an announcement made in which uh, she's been asking for, and now she's saying, why didn't it happen earlier? I mean, it's a sort of Keir Starmer approach to politics. Never uh, congratulate anybody for doing anything if they're on the opposite side of the House. Priti Patel um, was accused of making mistakes earlier on in the week. Um, she's apparently attempting to fix that situation. And so if she has done so, then surely the point for Rebecca Cooper would be just to agree that it's a good idea and let's get on with it as soon as possible. It would appear uh, that things are changing over there uh, in Ukraine and on the Polish border. Uh, Priti Patel saying that she can have people make online applications and everything should be up and running by Tuesday. It might not be soon enough, but listen, it's moving in the right direction. Let's speak to Ivan Vashuk, who's editor at NV, a Ukrainian weekly newspaper. Ivan, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Um, uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me. Not at all. Um, I don't know whether you were able to listen in to what Priti Patel was saying there, but she's obviously trying, um, as the British Home Secretary, to make it a bit easier for people to come from Ukraine uh, to Britain, particularly if they have family here. There's been quite a row here about the fact that we're not doing it quickly enough. But, you know, it's pretty chaotic, as, as, as I can see from, uh, from the footage that, that's coming from Poland. Uh, uh, th that's very important. The visa applications for those Ukrainian citizens who want to come to the United K Kingdom, because for years, you know, it's, it's been quite complicated process to get a visa mm. to visit Great Britain. Uh, and uh, what, what this meant uh, that uh, um, Ukrainians who would uh, want to go and say work in the agriculture somewhere in England uh, would just pay some fixers 
to try to get a visa while most of if if not all of these fixers were just like uh, uh, criminals who would take away their money and obviously wouldn't be able to get any legal visas from the United Kingdom government for Ukrainians. So this that's that's a real really important thing. No, absolutely right. Quite a lot of news this morning about the conflict itself. Uh, Sergey Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, saying he's not interested in justifying what Russia is doing, which I suppose is not that surprising coming from him. Um, with the upscaling of the attacks yesterday, particularly on the maternity hospital, um, clearly the Russians are, are, are getting more serious. Uh, that's true. And what what we've heard, uh, the statements uh, from Ukraine's foreign minister Kuleba and Russia's leading diplomat Lavrov uh, after their meeting in Turkey um, today, uh, you know, um, uh, U- Ukraine has a very clear diplomatic position. It's as uh, clear as possible. These are just three words. Ukraine wants peace. That's it. That's Ukraine's whole diplomacy is about. Uh, while Lavrov, what he said, uh, he continues talking um, uh, about uh, Russia succeeding in Ukraine uh, in all the directions, which means Ukraine should surrender. Ukraine should um, at first uh, uh, recognize um, uh, Russia's uh, uh, political power over Crimea. Ukraine should recognize so-called Donbass republics. Uh, that's all pretty much uh, the things uh, that uh, uh, Russia has been trying to um, uh, make deal with Ukraine since 2014. Mm. So Russians are not getting any more flexible in their diplomatic effort than they were prior to the invasion. Which means, which means uh, that uh, probably Vladimir Putin doesn't even have all the reliable information on what's going on in Ukraine. He doesn't have reliable information on casualties on both sides of the war, on both armies fighting this war, Ukrainian armed forces and Russian army. So, and when you don't have reliable information, obviously you can't, can't make the decisions that seem to be sustainable. And um, uh, I guess um, uh, it's very important that Turkey uh, is a place where Ukraine and uh, uh, Russia uh, have negotiations uh, because Turkey is uh, uh, a very important uh, uh, and uh, strategic uh, actor in the Black Sea region, Mm. which has its own share of military action that includes Russian Black Sea fleet. Yes. President Zelensky uh, yesterday as well calling for the no-fly zone once again to be imposed because of what the Russians are doing. Uh, He's getting more and more frustrated uh, with the West, it seems. Uh, That's true. Uh, He made two statements uh, over last two days. The first one would... Um, uh, was supposed to be heard by the world's leading capital cities, Brussels, London, Washington, D.C., Beijing, uh, and others. Uh, And what he was saying is uh, if uh, um, political leaders of countries all all over the world won't be hearing my requests for help, whether this is financial assistance or security assistance, um, Ukraine will be having some very, very hard times. Mm. And the second thing, uh, what he was saying, um, it's um, that uh, Ukraine probably needs much more military support. Um, 
and uh, no-fly zone uh, could be an option for Ukraine. We remember the no-fly zone in Libya in, in 2011 when um, uh, uh, there was an operation against uh, uh, Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi, uh, and, and that worked in Libya. But Ukraine is not Libya, though it does need to have uh, security and safety in the skies. Um, today, we had two uh, aircraft attacks on Kyiv. And this is basically um, the news we have each morning. Each morning, residents of Kyiv wake up uh, to the signals uh, of their air alarm. And that's, that's, that's uh, distressing. Uh, there were lots of women and kids and babies in Kyiv who hear those sounds because they go all over the, the city. And that just stresses lots of people. While uh, Ukrainians do need to keep their morale hey, high, and that matters both for civilians and for the soldiers. Sure. And and what is it like where you are, uh, Ivan, in terms of the atmosphere, in terms of the um, uh, the, the the militia that's the, the military things that are going on? What's happening? Uh, uh, Russian army um, uh, has been pressuring um, uh, the uh, area to the west of Kiev uh, since day one of the war. Uh, there is uh, quite a big uh, offensive operation taking place uh, uh, 30-40 kilometers from Kiev to the west. Uh, what Russians are doing, they keep sending helicopters with rangers who try to take over uh, a local uh, airport. So say they would have own base uh, to place uh, their own Russian air, uh, aircraft near Kiev. Uh, and they've been trying to capture this airport for more than two weeks. Mm. Very severe fighting going on there. And now we're having uh, quite a large column of Russian tanks uh, mo moving to the Kiev. Uh, and for that purpose, uh, they use uh, one of the major um, uh, traffic routes, basically just a road. They're not like going to Kiev through woods or through fields. They're going to Kiev using um, Ukrainian road. Mm. And then what's, what matters else uh, is uh, Ukraine's government attempts to evacuate uh, residents from Kherson and Mariupol, uh, two cities uh, in the southeast. Um, and uh, uh, it just it's impossible because uh, uh, first uh, Ukrainian and Russian side agree the ceasefire, um, which is like eight hours long to get people out who want to get out. Uh, and once the process of evacuation starts, uh, Russians start sharing. Uh, and then another thing is uh, supplying food uh, because um, those cities which are under heavy pressure, and heavy bombing and heavy shelling from the Russian army, like again, Mariupol, Kherson, and some even villages, uh, they have shortage of food supplies. Um, and this includes um, food for newly born babies. That's very important. Yes. Um, so it's important, it's, it's critically. Uh, crit critical for uh, some of the Ukrainian cities, towns and villages uh, to get their food supplies and food reserves renewed. Right. And so are the supplies still coming as, as would, we would expect the supplies not only of food but of medicines and everything else still coming into Ukraine? Um, uh, there is a, a shortage of uh, medicines in the drugstores. 
uh, well, uh, here, here in Kiev, we have uh, all the very basic medicines. I mean, if you have a headache, there is no problem to get a pill just to, to, to feel better or a sleeping pill. But obviously, if uh, uh, you need some uh, rare uh, medicine, if you're like a cancer pa patient, mm. if you have HIV or if you're on a drug therapy, if you're like a heroin addict, uh, those people also have their needs uh, within Ukraine's healthcare system. And the, uh, U Ukraine's health ministry is not able to provide uh, all the uh, medicines that Ukrainians need. Absolutely right. Well, Ivan, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Ivan Vashuk, the editor of NV, a Ukrainian weekly newspaper with an update on how things are on the ground uh, as the Russian military attacks seem to be increasing. Uh, Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Basically saying they're not interested uh, in explaining or justifying what they're doing in Ukraine. Uh, but he's also saying that you can't believe anything the British diplomats say. And of course, he's being uh, typically bullish about the way the Russians are operating, suggesting uh, that they are going to continue until they get what they want. Uh, and they're not really interested in talking about peace at the moment either. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've got lots more going on. Sebastian Gorka will be here later with Biden's um, reactions to what's been happening in Ukraine. We'll also be talking to Belinda De Lucy about the Labour Party and women and we'll bring you the latest as it happens on Chelsea Football Club Roman Abramovich and of course all the other um, six oligarchs who have been sanctioned this morning by Foreign Secretary Liz Truss. This is Talk Radio. Edgy Talk, Lane Talk, Unrivaled Talk, Talk Radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The day after Vladimir Putin's forces bombed a maternity hospital full of pregnant women and admitted to using tightly regulated thermobaric vacuum weapons on Ukrainian civilians. The war rages on uh, as this morning's headlines accused Russian forces of aiming their missiles at mothers and babies and the West still wrestles with the notion of whether to do any more to stop Putin's advances. Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, has been giving a press conference this morning in which he said the Russians are not interested in just 
justifying their actions and they're not particularly interested at the moment in any kind of peace talks. Meanwhile, President Zelensky uh, in Ukraine is still calling for a no-fly zone to be imposed by NATO or their allies, uh, which is still being refused apparently. Meanwhile, in London, Liz Truss has announced further sanctions against Roman Abramovich and six other oligarchs said to be inside Vladimir Putin's inner circle. She's basically... uh, made a decision which has put Chelsea Football Club in a rather perilous position. It would appear that Chelsea Football Club can now no longer trade as normal. Nadine Dorries, the culture secretary, is going to issue some kind of special licence to allow them to still play football, to allow them to continue to pay their staff. But if you haven't got a ticket for a game that you want to buy one for, you won't be able to do that. The shops will not be open. The food we say, we think, will still be made available. So if you are going to a hospitality box on Sunday uh, or you're going to try and just get a pie uh, and a, a bottle of beer at the, at the game. You should probably still be able to do that. But it does put an awful lot of question marks over the football business because, of course, we've got Saudi money in Newcastle. We've got Abu Dhabi money in Manchester. We've got all sorts of other American money. We've got Chinese money coming in. We've got money coming in from Southeast Asia into the football business. I mean, where does it all stop would be my question. 0344 499 1000. Coming up uh, in this hour, we're going to speak, I'm delighted to say, to Belinda DeLucy, former Brexit Party MEP, and woman, I think I can happily say, uh, because the Labour Party still struggle to actually define what a woman is. We've had plenty of opportunities to give them to tell us. Sir Keir Starmer doesn't seem to know, and Yvette Cooper doesn't seem to know either. We'll hear what she had to say uh, when she was asked the question. We're also going to be uh, having Helena Nicklin in later on, because it is Thursday, time for the Thursday Club. And, of course, Sebastian Gorka from the White House, formerly uh, a top aide to Donald Trump when he was president. He'll be talking about the Biden reaction to what's going on in Ukraine as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, before we talk to Belinda DeLucy, who is, as I said, very definitely a woman, let's find out what Yvette Cooper said recently when she was asked, could she describe what a woman actually is? Yeah, but it's very, I don't know, it's just whether we get into rabbit holes on this. Why are we all kind of getting ourselves tangled up? Yeah, as you can see, I'm avoiding going down a rabbit hole because I just think this is pointless. So apparently it's pointless to try and describe a woman. Um, she doesn't seem to want to go down a rabbit hole describing a woman. I mean, how does that act even work? Belinda, help me out here, for heaven's sake. Oh, my God. Look, if an elected politician can't define what a woman is, either because they're a lily-livered coward or because they genuinely don't know what a woman is, they should be nowhere near power. In fact, any MP who can't define what a woman is needs to resign immediately because they're supposed to represent at least half their constituents on the basis that they're women. And how are they going to do that if they don't know what one is? This is the same Yvette Cooper, Mike, who came out with a book in 2019 titled She Speaks, The Power of Women's Voices. Oh my goodness. Fast forward three years and she's like, Shh, don't say the woman word. Don't ask me what a woman is. Rabbit holes. It's too complicated. I mean, what is happening? Is some, are they being injected with some brain numbing toxins over the last three years? They're sounding utterly mad. And it's not just Yvette. Of course, David Lammy came out saying women who refuse males in their safe spaces are dinosaurs. Keir self-combusted in a contortion of lather and knots when he was uh, asked about whether women have cervixes and he was like, don't use the phrase only women have cervixes. Labour is riddled from Lisa Nandy to Rebecca Long-Bailey with, with MPs who have no idea what a woman is. And if they, if, if they do dare say they think it's a thought and a feeling, that completely erases women 
as as a sex group and erases all our protections. Except may I just uh, champion Rosie Duffield here. She's a Labour MP that has stuck her neck out and said what a woman is. And of course, she got death threats and was hounded and couldn't even turn up to her Labour conference because she was so uh, terrified of being hurt. And, and Labour deserted her, obviously. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Annalise Dodds put a tweet out the other day, which is even more confusing, where she said that they were going to raise women up. And I thought, well, that's all very well. But if you're going to raise them up, surely, one, you should be able to define what they are. And two, maybe it might be a good idea to actually have a woman leader, which the Labour Party seems to have singularly failed to do over the course of the last several decades. <laughs> yes, but Mike, even, you know, it was just over 100 years ago in, in 1919 when we had the first woman MP take her seat in Westminster, Nancy Astor. And the feeling very much then was, yes, we finally have someone who can represent uh, sex-based crime, sex-based health issues a woman in parliament now in 2022 we've got these women mps not able to even say what a woman is now and refusing to defend women's protections if you can't define a woman you can't protect women and because of our female biology we do need certain protections in changing rooms swimming areas in in prisons in rape refuges and labor seems to determine to remove them i'm sorry it's getting a bit creepy yeah. because what kind of men and women want to remove protections from vulnerable women and allow males access? Well, I mean, the other problem they've got, of course, it was International Women's Day this week. You'd imagine um, the panic that was setting out in Labour Party headquarters. Going, oh, my God, it's International Women's Day. What are we going to do? We don't know. Um, let's all just hide under the table and not say anything. Annalise Dodds apparently went on to Women's Hour which you would think would be fairly clearly defined. Um, yeah. But she then was unable to answer the question, how do you define a woman as well? <laughs> no, I think it's getting a little bit. Uh, I mean, listen, it's funny if it wasn't true. Um, I think it has real consequences for women. I think this is actually a criminal attack on women's rights, but Labour are, are, are cloaking it in kindness uh, and, and trying to be nice to people. Um, I don't want my daughters, my four girls, being groomed to believe it's women to males the right to access their changing rooms and bathrooms. And this is what Labour is peddling. Mm. Um, so unfortunately, it is in the Tory party as well. Caroline Notes, Crispin Blunt, Theresa May peddled the self-ID too. So I just wish there was some a politician with a backbone that stood up, put this debate to bed and said trans women are trans women women are women we need to protect women in single sex spaces let that be the end of it and isn't but it interesting that in in sort of real world time we're also dealing with a refugee crisis in which an awful lot of women and children are leaving a war zone uh, seeking refuge in western europe nobody seems to be asking the question whether they are all in fact women or whether some of them are women so whether some of them want to be identified as men you know no, nobody's having that conversation uh, in the queues to get on the trains yeah, and no one's saying to the, the, the men who are being kept in the Ukraine, saying you have to stay and fight. Oh, you know, but if you identify as a woman, you can you can no. miss out on that. You cannot identify out of your sex. Otherwise, women wouldn't be raped. There'd be no FGM. Men wouldn't be forced to be go, go into the military. Um, so it, it, it's peddling a fantasy. And Labour have obviously been seduced by it and signed up to it. But it's faux feminists like Sadiq Khan oh, yes. and uh, David Lammy and all these nitwit pillocks who come on going this you know we need to keep women safe after sarah everard we need to protect women 
Also, let's remove all their protections in every safe space area they have and allow any male to access it if they say they're a woman. Um, it's hypocritical. They're, they're not feminists at all. They're, it's an anti-woman party. In fact, anyone who wants to erase women as a group uh, are, are also proclaiming how anti-women they are. And we just need to call them out for it, Mike. Yes. Well, have you seen the latest from Sadiq Khan? And if you've noticed the latest poster, which has started appearing on uh, Transport for London on the underground, signed off by the Mayor of London and Transport for London, apparently staring um, has now been outlawed. So you're not allowed to stare at anyone on the tube. I mean, <laughs> look, I, I, I mean, I sort of know what they're trying to get at here, but this is what it says. It says intrusive staring of a sexual nature is sexual harassment and is not tolerated. Oh uh, sorry. I mean, how are you going to define staring? If you can't even define a woman, what are you staring at? I don't know. Who is that over there? Is that a woman? No, I wasn't staring at her. She's not a woman. How do I know she's a woman? I don't know. I mean, talk about, talk about rabbit holes. I mean, you know, it's amazing, isn't it? But Mike, also think of all the hungover people on the tube. I remember many a morning getting up and just staring, not realising I was actually staring at someone, but just kind of like having that onion eye hangover stare. I'd be done every morning I went to work. You um, would. It, it's nonsense. It's first world, spoiled, narcissistic, privileged rubbish. We should be concentrating on the truth and facts over feelings. Um, stop this gender nonsense. Helping women, girls, boys, men, and, and recognising their sex. Covid hit men. Far worse than it hit women yeah. because of their male biology. They can't identify out of that as much as we can't identify out of getting cervical cancer. But it is lies that, uh, that these MPs are now peddling as truth or they're too cowardly to yeah. say the truth. But, you know, it's not, just the, it's not just the MPs. I actually saw a doctor, um, a male doctor, uh, on a, a BBC breakfast programme describing people with prostates. Oh, no. I'm going... <laughs> So what sort of people have prostates? Would you suggest that they might be men wouldn't have prostates, don't they? I mean, I don't think women do. Oh, you don't, can't say that. But I mean, talking yeah. about the staring things, you remember Metro newspaper used to have a little yeah. column. I don't know if they probably don't anymore because they probably hate crime. But yeah. they used to have a little column where people would send in their notes because they'd have seen somebody on the tube and they'd looked at them and they hadn't managed to sort of hook up and they'd go, you know, to the girl who was wearing the green dress and eating the cheese sandwich, you know, I was the guy looking at you and smiling. You know, this is my, you know, and that's how people meet, isn't it? Yeah, and it's and it's quite romantic. And to be honest, it's also again constantly this infantilizing of women. Like we can't deal with a stare. I mean, come on, we're not these pathetic paper dollies who swoon at the idea of a man looking at us for more than three seconds. Now that's not true because you do swoon when I stare at you. I've seen it. Apart from you, you're quite right. Well, I'm only human. (laughs) Um, But But it is. It's making us out to be children. We can fight. There are certain areas we need the law to step in. Certain protections we need, which. Labour very keen to remove from us and other uh, self-IDing MPs are keen to remove from us. Very few protections. Otherwise, we can stand up for ourselves on a lot of these occasions. Why Why can't we say to a man, please stop staring at me? Yeah. Or what are you staring at, you numb nuts or whatever you want well, to call it? Well, also, them. it's quite a compliment. I mean, ladies of my age, you know, I don't mind it so much. Well, listen, I mean, I was on the tube yesterday, right? I was travelling back from uh, my trip to the West End and a woman literally hurled herself at me because it went to, it came to a stop suddenly. It was very busy and she sort of grabbed my arm. And um, I said, uh, she said, oh, sorry. I said, don't worry, women are throwing, always throwing themselves at me on the tube. And she just burst out laughing. We had a very funny conversation. I went home, she went home. It was, it was you know, an, in, an engaging a moment on, on, on London transport, you know. 
men and women are perfect company for each other. I think the vast majority majority of us see the good in each other. We want romance. We want love. We want relationships. We don't want men constantly hammered and their flaws highlighted all the time. Where while women suddenly get away with all our flaws. Who? What feminist movement ever talks about how bitchy women are to each other at work or or how unkind we can be? You know, look at all the women at the moment championing male swimmers and female sports. You know, right. women can be real enemies to women as well, but that's rarely mentioned. I think the vast majority of us, as you said, love a laugh, love a bit of flirting, think it's all harmless. I just hope it's not taken away from us. Exactly right. And one final question. I mean, Labour Party might not be able to define what a woman is, but can you define what the Labour Party is? (laughs) Well, I can define what it used to be. It used to be to represent the working class and all their issues. Now, I think it is a sort of an Islington dinner party for former like foreign office lovies and celebs, a bit of a Hugh Grant thrown in there. Um, And I think it represents anything that's very posh and privileged and narcissistic and has lost all reality. Truth is unimportant. I think it would be a disaster if Corbyn got in uh, in 2019. Thank God they didn't. But no, I think the Labour Party is like a piffle. Mm. That's how I describe the it. The only people I know that are in favour of Labour Party policies actually are the sons and daughters of the wealthy, people who have got, you know, sort of uh, Land Rovers and houses in the Cotswolds. And it's just ridiculous how it's become this kind of parody of itself, isn't it? Well, it is. And unfortunately, um, actually, it has des- uh, the Brexit. Brexit obviously uh, confirmed that Labour had turned their backs on democracy. It's turned its back on free speech, on on uh, also Britain's place in the world. They're so self-loathing. You know, they're the ones that jump on every single Britain bashing train that they can. Mm. It's almost they delight and salivate at it, if the UK does badly at something. And they're trying to put a few flags in the background when they talk now. Yeah. But we we all know that that's not true. And it is shame. It is very sad because I once respected the Labour Party. It's now become a joke. Um, and we needed strong opposition over COVID. We needed strong uh, a strong opposition over all these, uh, uh, you know, gender things going on. And they're not they're not punching any weight. No, no, they have absolutely no clue what is happening. But Belinda, as ever, thank you so much for being a woman. Uh, thank you for identifying as a woman. And thank you for talking to me as a woman uh, here on the Independent Republic of Microwave, where we can definitely define the word woman. Uh, it's very easy, very simple, very straightforward, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. We'll take some calls. Coming next on Talk Radio. Mike Graham speaking common sense unto the nation on Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, but I mean some people, do you know what I mean? It's all very well to think these things and it's sometimes all very well to even say them to somebody, but to say them on an international radio station, you do have to worry uh, that you think there's a war on but it might not be, you think there's bio labs, but there might not be, you think that maybe Vladimir Putin is the answer and maybe it's all being played out by actors and maybe we shouldn't be encouraging people to go even though we're not encouraging people to go I mean you do do worry don't you you do worry listen Richard and Kent mate I appreciate your call I'm glad you've got some of those things out there because we need to hear these things that people are thinking because quite frankly Vladimir Putin is a dangerous megalomaniac it's as simple as that he has invaded a sovereign country it's as simple as that He is killing innocent people. It is as simple as that, okay? 
We're going to talk to Sebastian Gorka, former White House aide, of course, uh, an aide to Donald Trump in the White House when the White House actually meant something um, as opposed to what it means now. He's also host of America First, the radio show, and, of course, uh, the podcast as well. Loads going on here. Uh, we'll take many of your calls, of course, 0344 499 1000. And it's Thursday, so we'll have a bit of Thursday club uh, regeneration with Helena Nicklin coming up a little bit later on. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. Is it any wonder? It's Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let me say a very, very good afternoon here and a very good morning in Washington, D.C. to Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Sebastian, how are you doing? <laughs> God bless you, Mike. Uh, <laughs> I woke up this morning truly. I- I'm a happy warrior. My wife says, how are you always so happy? I woke up really depressed. I went to bed, posted some stuff about the Mariupol bombing of yeah. that maternity hospital. And I can't, t- I got literally hundreds of responses, and some of them are bots, but I know some are real people, like Richard, who say, that never happened. Zelensky's a puppet, and Putin is fighting the World Economic Forum, and he's a good guy. And it got me depressed that I have fellow citizens in America who believe this garbage. Yeah. I mean, much of it, of course, is being put out by Russia, which is what yes. they do, you know? But- but not only, not only, but the fact that anybody who's over the age of 18 with, a, you know, over a double digit IQ can say Putin is the good guy. This is an individual. Can we be clear here? Just two things end the conversation. He's a former KGB colonel. Yeah. KGB colonels didn't fight for the West, didn't fight for Christianity. They persecuted and tortured Christians, number one. Mm. And Secondly, this is a guy who rose to power how? This isn't in dispute, please. Okay, everybody out there with a tinfoil hat on, this is not in dispute. There was a series of bombings in Moscow where innocent people were killed. An apartment block was blown up, and that's how he became president. And that bombing wasn't done by Chechens. We found out later it was done by his secret service. He killed Russians in Moscow to become the head of the Russian state, and he's been there for 23 years. Can we have a bit of sanity in the world, please? Yes, exactly right. Let us, before we go any further, listen to uh, a, a, a video that was, re- was referred to earlier by one of my earlier callers, Sebastian. I think you've seen this before. It's Senator Rubio in Washington, D.C., at a hearing talking to Undersecretary of State Victoria Newland. A couple of people have made reference to this. Let's see what she actually says. Well, um, I only have a minute left. Let me ask you, um, does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda groups are already putting out there all kinds of information about how they've uncovered a plot by the Ukrainians to release biological weapons in the country and with NATO's coordination. If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or, uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100 percent it would be the Russians that would be behind it? There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. 
So, uh, Sebastian Gorka, what did you make of that exchange for a start? I actually opened my show yesterday, my radio show, with a monologue on this issue, and I discussed the facts of bioweapons research and had on the show a woman called Natalie Winters, who's written the best article on the peace in America in the last 48 hours. It's at the National Pulse. So just a little bit of background. In 1972, 109 nations signed something called the Bioweapons and Toxins Treaty, which banned the use of biological weapons in war, made it into internationally illegal. However, it stipulated every nation has the right to research bioweapons to create defenses against them, including the UK, including America. Now, apparently there are bioweapons research labs, not production facilities in the Ukraine. And weirdly, in 2005, a senator called Barack Obama was involved in helping fund them. Okay, mm. this you can look this up. It's the Non-Luger Act. Senator Obama was part of it. I think it's weird, it's crazy to have support for research facilities so close to Russia, but it is not illegal. And the idea that somehow we were plotting, or the World Economic Forum, or Klaus Schwab, was plotting a bioweapons attack against Russia, you really have to be on some funny pills to believe that. Right. Well, also, you know that it's uh, being messed about with when you hear the Russians and you uh, Sergei Lavrov yeah. this morning basically saying, oh, yeah, that's why we went into Ukraine to shut down these bio labs. Well, hang on a minute. Two weeks ago, you said you were going in to stop the Nazis, didn't you? Right. To sa save the, the ethnic Russians. Yeah. They maneuver classic 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 and of course why are you bombing a maternity hospital if the threat is by a weapons lab will you indulge me for a second mike sure so there's a guy i'm sure you know called brendan o'neill yes and somebody on my locals account posted a, a little uh, segment of writing from brendan i'm just going to read two sentences because it perfectly sums up the challenge you face and i face the COVID pandemic has completely fried some people's brains. These new conspiracy theorists have convinced themselves they are brave, independent thinkers, when in truth, they don't think at all. It is a life-zapping way to think. And I have to praise you, Talk Radio, because we have to have common sense and sanity. Mm. Invading another country... If you're a former KGB colonel who's bombed apartment blocks in his own city, is never a good thing. I don't care what the Global Reset says. I don't care what Klaus Schwab or George Soros said, who by himself is evil. It is never okay to bomb hospitals. Mm. And the idea that this is all crisis actors and this is theatre... I'm depressed if you believe that. Yes. I mean, the people that are sort of not exactly defending the likes of Richard and Ken, but are kind of understanding it, say that the fact is the government have lied to people for a very long time. And that is true. And part of our um, uh, sort of need to be as talk radio and what we did for the last two years was to question the narrative and to question what the government did. But again... It doesn't necessarily mean, therefore, that everything is untrue and that everything uh, is not actually real because... There was COVID, you know, there was a reason why the governments of the world behaved in the way that they did. We, like you, Sebastian, because you were one of the voices of dissent, believed that lots of what the governments did were wrong. But it doesn't mean that the thing didn't exist and the thing wasn't invented so that they could do the things that they did. Do you know what I mean? Totally, totally. You should be sceptical. You should be cynical. But you should apply critical thinking. 
You shouldn't always default to everything's a lie. It's like Zelensky is an actor. This is a man who has stayed in his country. When we, sadly, the Biden White House said, we're going to send a plane and evacuate you. What did he say? I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. Yeah. That's He's not in some hollowed out volcano, you know, petting a white cat, plotting <laughs> everything with a green screen. He's actually there in Kiev fighting Russians. And I'm sorry, maybe my history, my parents surviving communist dictatorship. I am very happy and supportive of anybody who is killing Russians that invaded their country. If you don't have moral clarity on that, you don't have moral clarity at all. Exactly right. Now, talking of moral clarity, uh, what the hell is Joe Biden doing? Because he doesn't seem to be doing very much. Uh, so I was in studio last Friday. So we, we go live at 3 p.m. And we're prepping for the show, you know, DC time. Mm. But my producer says, oh, it's just been confirmed by the wire services. Biden has left for the eighth weekend in a row to Delaware yeah, yeah. to hang yeah. you know there is a war in Europe and he's going to Delaware to hang out and you know stare out the window for hours mm. the contact secret service told me go there and stare out the window this is shocking and we when we see the fact it took him two weeks to stop purchasing oil from Russia two weeks Thanks to him, Russia became the fourth highest importer of oil to this country. We were funding him for weeks after his invasion, despite the fact that when we were in the White House, when fracking was unleashed, when we had the XL Keystone pipeline about to come online with Canada, we were energy independent, Mike. We were selling energy to other people. We weren't having to buy it. And now, how about, could you imagine, Mike, if, if you're the prime minister and people don't return your call. He tried to put a call in two days ago to the king of Saudi Arabia, mm. to the UAE, to grovel to put lower prices on the cartel oil from OPEC. Neither the kingdom of Saudi Arabia nor the UAE returned Joe Biden's calls. He is the president of the United States, and now he's sending diplomats to Venezuela who are big buddies of Russia, to grovel to buy oil from Venezuela. It's a little bit different from when we were in the White House. Well, I was, well, was going to say, I mean, Donald Trump got it right, didn't he, when he said that Germany was way too dependent on Russian oil and that would lead to a bad place, which indeed it did. He more or less called Germany an outpost of the Russian Empire, which it kind of is. And they're now in a terrible place because they can't cut their um, dependency off too soon because they won't be able to heat their houses and have their lights on. Meanwhile, of course, the UAE have said, we'll just increase um, production and then we can lower the price of oil anyway and screw Russia that way. We, we've used every day this week, we've used the same clip from 2018 with President Trump at the United Nations warning Europe and warning Germany not to depend on Russian gas and oil. And the camera pans to the German delegation who are tittering, mm. who are laughing at President Trump's warning four years ago. I don't think they're laughing right now, Mike. I really don't think they are. And also the other thing about Biden not being able to get a phone call through to other leaders of the world is that Boris Johnson, who took a big shellacking from me over his treatment of COVID and over uh, the ludicrous nature of all these ridiculous parties he was having, has actually stepped up to the plate in the last month and has actually become pretty statesmanlike. And more leaders are now talking to him than they are talking to Biden.
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's the saving grace uh, of this administration in the UK. I had high hopes of Boris when he caught COVID. He kind of lost the plot, kind of lost his spine. Uh, you know, I don't know whether it was a, a near death experience or something. But in the last three weeks, man, has he pulled his act together? There's one outside of Ukraine and outside of Zelensky, there's one guy who's showing the way for us. And and even I think I think I said this the day after the invasion. That speech Boris gave and immediately backed up by Keir Starmer. You know, I, I'm a conservative, thank you very much. But when, when both the conservatives and Labour say, yes, this is wrong and Britain is going to do everything to support the freedom fighters. Uh, yeah, uh, a full round of applause. Full yeah. round. And what have you made, Sebastian, of the Americans' reaction or Biden's reaction to Poland? Poland said that they would give their planes to the U.S., the U.S. could give them uh, to the Ukrainians and everyone would be happy, paint them with Ukrainian colours, away you go. He said no. And I don't understand why he used the word untenable. What does he mean, untenable? How is it untenable to give your, your, um, your ally uh, military hardware to fight off the invaders? It's an embarrassment. When somebody in NATO says we're going to step up, we're not going to fight for Ukraine, but we're going to give them the capacity mm. to fight themselves. They say we're going to give away our MiG jets if the U.S. backfills it. And they say, yeah, OK. But when it gets serious to the point they deploy them to Ramstein to get them shipped to Ukraine and then the Pentagon backs out in the most powerful nation in the world. I summed it up thusly. I put a post on Instagram that made a lot of the conspiracy theorists go crazy. I said, there's a photograph yesterday of our defense secretary, a former four star general receiving the Finnish defense minister outside the Pentagon. Both of them have the COVID nappies on their faces. <laughs> and then I had a photograph of Zelensky in his, you know, OG green T-shirt right. from the giving a press conference, no mask. And I said, this guy is our defense secretary. Let's have some real leadership from people like Zelensky. Mm. It is an embarrassment. We used to be the most powerful nation in the world. Now we look weak. People like Zelensky are strong. It takes you back, does it not, to that day famously um, when Donald Trump came out without a mask on, got into his um, limo and the bedwetters all said, oh, but he's putting the Secret Service detail in danger. It's like, that's OK. They're in danger every day in case somebody shoots him. <laughs> They, they are trained, for those who don't know what the Secret Service does, we call them the bullet catchers because yeah. they are trained to jump in front of the assassin's bullet. So I think they can handle COVID, thank you very much. And yeah. that moment afterwards, when he came up to the balcony on the White House, I've used it as a meme millions of times, yeah. where he stood there and took off his mask. Yeah. Uh, we've got to have him back in the White House, Mike. 2024, roll on. Well, listen, there's no chance that Biden's going to still be there by that stage. He'll have disappeared off and buried himself like the groundhog in uh, town in Pennsylvania, no doubt, you know, and try and see if he can come out again. But what about uh, Kamala Harris? I mean, I must say I shuddered slightly when I saw her uh, going up the steps of an aircraft with a black umbrella, thinking, where the hell does she think she's going? Did you see she gave an interview to a podcast for, for this is for, you know, black Americans. So, it, you know, should be a, a serious discussion to a very big voting block. And she said the following. And I've used the audio. You've got to grab it, Mike. Um, Ukraine is a country in Europe. It is next to Russia. Russia is a big country and Russia invaded Ukraine. And that's wrong. I mean, l literally like talking to five year olds. Yeah. 
preschool, and that was her geopolitical analysis of war in Europe today. And she is a heartbeat away from the presidency. Yeah, Mike. literally, literally, or maybe even a skipped heartbeat away. We, we just call her the cackler. And, the, you know, the good news is she's a disaster, which means in 2024, if she's the opponent, uh, the president is going to shellac her. This is the woman who in the Democrat primaries, a little bit of a reminder, got less than 2% of the vote from Democrats, okay? <laughs> She's there for two reasons, to do with her skin pigmentation and her gender, which if I were her, I'd be pretty insulted, wouldn't you? I would, absolutely right. I mean, I take great pride in the fact that I can't get those kind of jobs because <laughs> of my uh, gender and my skin pigmentation and my great age, because I'm now considered uh, to be white, middle-class, middle-aged and, you know, absolutely abhorrent. You, you are a member of the patriarchy, Mike. Don't forget the verb. You are a member of the oppressive patriarchy. Exactly right. Listen, terrific to talk to you as ever, Sebastian. Uh, catch Sebastian on America First. It's a radio show. It's a podcast. It's the Gorka Reality Check as well. Lots going on here. We'll take some reality from you guys as well. 0344 499 1000. I hope now, uh, for those of you who are wondering about that video with Marco Rubio, uh, you now know what it all means and what it all says. And just as if by magic, Kamala Harris is now speaking about the United States and Poland. Incredible, isn't it? The synergy of this show. You just could not make it up. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.